Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. It is the ultimate and commercial broker training. Uh, learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, today we're going to talk about restaurants. And, you know, if you're in the commercial real estate business, restaurants are, are a big part of our environment, right? They're, uh, they seem to be expanding. They've been changing. Uh, that's been a big part of the experiential retail uh, that's going on all around the country. But how are restaurants doing? You know, what are the trends? Are they looking for smaller footprints? How are they doing? What types of concepts are expanding? Well, we're in luck. We have an expert with us today, Darren Tristano. He is CEO and founder of Food Service Results. Darren, good to see you. Good to see you too, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, Darren, first of all, overall, how are restaurants uh, doing right now? It seems like uh, after COVID was over, a lot of people wanted to get out and eat <laughs> and eat in restaurants. Uh, is, is that still going on? How are they doing overall? Well, I think we're seeing the restaurants returning to the pre-COVID levels. Um, you have to take that into consideration that inflation has impacted those numbers. So the sales at these restaurants are inflated because of higher menu prices. But ultimately, we're seeing traffic return, pent-up demand by consumers, their willingness. They feel safer going out to restaurants as COVID fears have have kind of dissipated. And ultimately, they, they're returning to the restaurants at a very rapid pace. So we're, we're starting to get back to, if I can say this, a normal restaurant environment. Yeah. Well, Darren, what types of concepts are expanding now uh, around the country? Who's growing? Well, we continue to see limited service restaurants, particularly fast casuals and even coffee shops. So uh, you see the general brands like Taco Bell continues to expand, um, certainly Starbucks with drive throughs trying to add more convenience for their customers. And a lot of these fast food restaurants have a lot of space to be able to expand into new markets and ex really mature those markets with more restaurants. In terms of fast casual, you, you continue to see sandwich shops growing. There's a great demand for them. Certainly the pickup opportunities for sandwich shops and even bakery cafes are very high with catering and other opportunities. So these restaurants tend to expand. And then ultimately on the full service side, you're, you're seeing more versions, kind of the light versions of restaurants that are offering uh, smaller footprints, smaller menus, and, and really expanding uh, through the brand, but being able to offer a, a restaurant that can maintain the overhead costs and see, you know, less than 100, where some of these restaurants used to be 200 to 250 minimum for casual dining. Um, and what we don't see a lot of is fine dining. Fine dining took a huge hit during the COVID period. So they're starting to come back, but there's a lot of fear from some of these restaurants because, you know, they've been hit so hard when COVID hit. So they're kind of waiting to see how the economy bounces back and trying to avoid the, the next pandemic if there's one on the horizon. 
you know, one of the things I see from our clients that uh, own commercial real estate, they tend to almost partner with the restaurants. They want to really understand how, how they can do well and, and perform well. You mentioned uh, smaller uh, footprints. Um, if a uh, restaurant has too much space, uh, what are some alternatives for them to use that space to be more productive? Well, there's actually some very creative alternatives. One of them is renting out the kitchen. We're starting to see a lot of these rentals happening on restaurants that may not be open uh, through all the hours during the week. So if they're closed in the morning for breakfast, or if they're closed during lunchtime and only open in the evening during the week, then they can rent out their space to bring in revenue to help offset their rent costs. Another would be to expand their ability to service both the delivery through third party and the takeout orders by creating more dedicated space to make it more convenient for, for customers to come in, to be able to park, have dedicated parking, come in through a door, pick up opportunities where the food is available. You know, you see this at Panera quite a bit, but we're starting to see it more in full service restaurants where you can come in, grab your food and head out. And it's such an easy convenience uh, that it gives off-premise opportunities to these restaurants, expanding opportunities to grow their sales, to service different day parts, and, and ultimately to build catering opportunity through a logistic that doesn't disrupt the dining experience for the in-store customer, but makes it easy for the Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub driver to come in and grab things but also for customers that want to have this type of meal at home. And Darren, as you've seen uh, menu prices uh, go up and, and restaurants costs going up, uh, I think at least in most parts of the country, we're also seeing rents uh, go up uh, on uh, these retail properties around the country. What's the trend with rent to revenue ratios? Where do these restaurants uh, uh, like to be? So in general, restaurants like to be in the 8 to 10% range, closer to 8 Lower is better, higher is worse. Really, the opportunity for a restaurant is to maximize their sales since rent is often fixed. So to do that, they've got to take advantage of off-premise. They've got to expand their marketing efforts to bring more customers in. Sometimes they have to increase their day parts to be able to get more customers in through the doors. A restaurant nearby me just started to offer breakfast, and they're more of a bar on the lake. And they're able to do that because the staff is in. They can create that new occasion, that day part, and they can maximize. Not unlike when you see drive through restaurants open 24 hours or late night. It adds a lot of opportunity for them. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see more emphasis on growing revenues to get that number down versus the opportunity to to really look at that as being too high and hard from an overhead standpoint. And you mentioned uh, staff. Um, it seems like the, that a lot of businesses had trouble getting f folks to work for a while, especially in the restaurant industry. How is that going now? What's the trend? Well, I think labor continues to be a very difficult challenge for restaurants. Certainly with the unemployment rate so low, it's become very difficult. However, we do have a lot of refugees coming into our country, which in the past has served as a great opportunity to bring more labor force in. Many of them are, are very likely skilled in the, in the restaurant industry um, and can find jobs that are very difficult to staff. And 
to recruit and to retain for restaurants. So it does continue to be an issue because of that. It's driving some prices up on labor, uh, if you, especially if you want to get good labor. And it's going to continue to inflate menu prices, uh, which have already gone up because of inflation and food costs. And what do you see for uh, outdoor spaces? You know, I'm headquartered here in Atlanta, and we have a um, pretty favorable weather most of the time, and we have a lot of outdoor dining. Are you seeing more of that around the country? Well, I think outdoor dining expanded heavily during the COVID time because people felt better going into a place where they can really be in the open, fresh air. They just felt safer. And because of that, some of the permits were more relaxed, allowing restaurants to add outdoor seating near the restaurant. And even in some spaces, they created kind of an area of seating around restaurant pockets where they closed off streets and, and gave these restaurants more of a chance to succeed, especially when they were limiting the number of tables and the space between the tables. So I think because of that, consumers have adapted to El Fresco dining particularly in the north where the weather tends to be colder in the winter, but during the summertime, they're looking for these outdoor spaces. So as restaurants expand, they're trying to be able to bring those in to satisfy those consumers that are looking for it as we become accustomed to it. And I think it just becomes a a much more favorable option for restaurants because it's an occasion that if a consumer is looking to dine outdoors and it's a nice day, they definitely are going to come to the restaurant. So operators are looking for those spaces as they look to expand their concepts. You know, Darren, people love their pets and, and love their dogs, and it's a it's a pretty big percentage of the folks uh, around the country that actually have dogs and, and want them around. Uh, is that something the restaurant industry is embracing more? Well, I think that dog-friendly restaurants have become a, a great place. These are typically restaurants that really have the outdoor seating um, where they allow the operator allows the customer to bring in a dog. Now, the the real challenge to this isn't the dog. It's the dog owner, because very often (laughs) there are dogs that are brought into restaurants that don't do well with other dogs or even with people. So it becomes difficult and challenging to customers who might want to sit outdoors and don't want to be harassed by the hungry dog the next table, the barking dog, the fighting dog, but ultimately the ability to bring a well-behaved dog to a restaurant, I think, becomes a great opportunity Um, because COVID dogs, they don't like to be left alone. They've been around people so much during the last three years that they've developed certain anxieties towards their pet owners leaving the house and, and often will chew something up to get even. So I think this is going to continue to expand. I think what we haven't seen yet is specific items on the menu that are tailored to dogs. Certainly, you could get a bunless burger and treat your dog. But ultimately, having items on the menu that a dog might want to eat that are affordable, um, that could be ground beef, it could be chicken, and even being able to just provide water dishes, I think, is a great service to operators that that are looking for these customers. Yeah. And of course, during COVID, uh, drive through became very, very popular. Uh, what's the trend now? So a lot of restaurants are looking for di- drive throughs I think these are going to increase in terms of rent. They certainly are looking for land leases to build 
So those are becoming more popular. But drive throughs aren't just for fast food anymore. We see them more for fast casual. And it's not the order and pick up and pay. It's the order ahead and pickup window like you would see at a Chipotle. So having those end caps, that drive through space, <clears throat> really gives you an opportunity. And even beyond that, when you're looking at full-service restaurants, we talked about having extra space and what to do with it. To be able to build a drive through on a full-service restaurant and maybe take some of that additional space and be able to serve customers that are looking to pre-order and pick up I think is going to be a, a huge advantage. Again, this isn't going to be a drive up to Applebee's and order your ribs or your steak. This is going to be order ahead on the app, being able to queue, know when you're going to have a pickup time, and then pull up, grab it through the window, and drive home. Uh, again, for third-party delivery, for direct delivery, these are going to be great options. And for customers, it's going to be convenience that they're looking for, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, it sounds sounds wonderful. Darren, what might landlords do uh, to help restaurants uh, today? Well, I think if landlords look to better understand how a restaurant operates, I think it's important because spaces that are designed for restaurants typically remain restaurants, a lot harder to adjust to or from a restaurant space. So I think it's important for an operator to be able to share information with the landlord, for the landlord to better understand the cycles, which could be weekly, monthly, seasonally, and even just to understand how to help that operator through the tougher times, knowing that this is a long-term relationship, I think is going to be a lot better so the operator is not stressed because rent's coming due and they're trying to make that rent number when labor is also an issue that they have to keep going. So to the extent a landlord can understand how a restaurant operates, their P&L, and really their cash flow, I think it's important. And, you know, you can start to see landlords looking at restaurants and, and maybe even taking an investment stake in these restaurants because then they're really in, involved on a long-term basis. They can understand how these operators are functioning, and they can learn more intimately how to help them. Yeah, that's great advice, and, and we see that uh, a good bit. Um, when you're, if you're a landlord, you're looking at a potential uh, restaurant uh, tenant, um, a, a lot of these things you've mentioned today seem very important to kind of understand if these uh, restaurants are doing these things. How important is the uh, social media and, and their reviews uh, when picking and uh, thinking if a restaurant's going to do well? Well, I think when we look at the younger generations, uh, and not to say older generations don't use reviews, but the younger generations tend to look at referrals from each other and from other people that they know. So they've become increasingly popular. I can tell you from the research space, being able to harvest this data from the web and be able to look at social media and measure with metrics how well a restaurant is doing has become incredibly important and it's becoming one of the larger expenditures for restaurants. So that's certainly growing. So the operator feels that it has to do better, that it has to monitor, it has to identify issues very early on, and it has to be able to compare themselves to how other operators are performing 
And if they find a brand like Chick-fil-A, which tends to do extremely well, they can learn and they can mimic from them. So I think if you're a landlord, you want to look at reviews. You want to make sure that if a restaurant's expanding or is moving into your space, that they've done well, that their service is good, their food quality is good. Price is something that customers will always complain about. Even if it's a great deal, they'll still complain. But <laughs> looking for service and food and making sure you don't see anything like there were roaches in the kitchen or some really off thing, I think those are going to be important to selecting the right candidate for uh, filling your space. And Darren, as a final word, what do you think about the forecast of the future uh, for uh, restaurants? Well, I think right now we're seeing a pretty strong earnings from restaurants. We have to be careful because a lot of those sales increases are based on inflation. So on a nominal basis, they are much higher. On a real basis adjusted for inflation, I think we're seeing similar metrics to what we saw pre-COVID. So in terms of the future, price is still going to become an issue. Uh, inflation remains an issue. So I think customers are returning they're going out to restaurants more frequently. Certainly travel abroad is growing, which means that all that pent up demand, all that money that's been saved by not traveling is starting to be spent. So we're going to see more of that around the U.S. and abroad. But ultimately, the forecast for the restaurant industry appears to be very good and low to moderate growth, but it's much stronger than we've seen in years. Excellent. Well, that's a good note to end on. Darren, great information as usual. Thank you for joining us, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country, whether you're uh, listening to our podcast or watching a video, we appreciate it. And we love hearing from you. Uh, we appreciate you sharing the show with others. And uh, so until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. Com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.